I'm John Ronson, and you're listening to the World Is Wrong podcast. Here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about dinner in America. Dinner in America. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the World Is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists. The world is wrong about. And today, in the aftermath of the Noscars, we are exploring Brian's, well, one of Brian's Noscar nominees for the previous year, the film Dinner in America. I have forgotten to introduce ourselves. I'm Andras Jones, and I'm one of your hosts. <laughs> Who are you, Brian? I'm Brian Connolly. <laughs> also really? a host. Yeah. Uh, I'm so excited to talk about this movie, Dinner in America. Yeah. Tell us, yeah. uh, get set up the clip oh gosh <laughs> there's so much good stuff in this movie um here's a scene of the two main characters simon and patty played by kyle gallner and emily skeggs and this is uh she's getting some uh, low self-esteem moment and this is him building her up and this is just a taste of the brilliant dialogue in this movie there might be spoilers there might be spoilers there might be spoilers So, what'd you think of my family? I like your brother, Danny. Yeah, you saw him. Simon? Yeah. Do you think I'm a retard? Don't you ever talk like that. Ever. You are not a retard. You are a total punk rocker. I am? Yes. You are punk as fuck. Can we listen to our song in here? Fuck yeah. Fuck that shit in the tape thing. America, written and directed by Adam Ray Meyer. I think I'm saying his name right. And this is a this is a punk rock poem. This is a punk rock anthem. This is a, a punk rock seduction. Uh, this movie is about Simon. We begin with him drooling in his dinner in what seems to be a mental institution while the lady across from him finger bangs a piece of beef. <laughs> what, what What is this movie that we've begun to watch? Uh, and you find out that, no, this is just, he volunteered to be here. It's one of those kind of drug testing, like pharmaceutical testing labs 
where you get paid very little to mess up your body. And then we're just kind of stuck with this character as he ruins many of family's dinners in America, <laughs> finally settling on the family of Patty, played by Emily Skaggs. Uh, he meets her while he's on the run from the law after setting one family's <laughs> dinner on fire. Uh, she recently let go from her pet store job where her main duty is cleaning the shit out of all the animal cages. <laughs> she covers for him. They realize that they were in the same class together in community college. He follows her home. He has dinner with her family and basically moves in <laughs> under this guy, under this guise that he, his family uh, loved to go on missions and be missionaries, helping people in other countries. And in between, he needs a place to stay. So he needs a host family. So this family is his host family. Um, and he then turns the whole family around, but most importantly, with his punk rock seduction, he pulls Patty into the world, from her quiet, pilled up world, uh, awkward world, into the world of punk. Uh, and there's lots of twists and turns in the story as to how that happens, which we will give away. Uh, so please watch this movie. Um, and yeah, this movie, uh, IMDb lists is at 2020, did premiere at Sundance in 2020, but I count it as 2021 because the pandemic happened, kind of pausing this movie's trajectory through festivals, which then continued through 2021 and finally came out on Blu-ray and ways for people to see it in 2021. So that's why I count it as one of the best films of 2021. Though technically it's, why, why I just say it's the best film of 2020? and 2021. Um, <laughs> and this movie is just full of so many good kind of character actors or actors you haven't seen in a while. Oh, well, you know what? Wait a second. We, you just, did uh, you just take the, an award away from the wrong Missy? Did you just I take guess I did. the I'm wrong sorry. Missy's award and give it to dinner in America? That's not fair. Not fair. But uh, Hannah Marks is in here, a filmmaker who also produced this movie. Leah Thompson, who I have not seen in quite some time. Um, Marilyn uh, Raxcub. Raxcub. Is that your last name? Raxcub. Raxcub and Pat Healy, who play uh, the pa Patty's parents, and they're amazing. And just a bunch of other people you've maybe never seen before, but everybody just working really well with this movie. This movie's quirky. It starts kind of mean and gross, and it ends up being the most surprising, heartwarming, like romantic comedy you've seen in some time. Yeah. So that's my description of dinner in America. Uh, yeah. Your more in-depth description, because, of course, we, we did hear about this film last week when you talked about it. You gave it, you know, some some yeah, love a, on a brief, the Oscars. Yeah. But uh, and, yes. and in the in the same sense. This is the point where I would say, how is the world wrong about this film? But it's it's so new. I mean, I guess it's wrong in that it didn't get <laughs> nominated for the best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best supporting actor and actress, uh, best screenplay, and possibly, I guess, best <laughs> score. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it just, uh, it's a movie, too, that I feel like I... So the story of how I saw this movie was that my wife got it for Christmas from a friend who had watched it at a festival. And she was like, and she was like, this movie's so good. I'm just going to give it to you for Christmas and you're going to love it and you're going to watch it. So she, she put it on. I think we watched it maybe even like the day after Christmas. And uh, we both were like, holy shit, that's a fucking movie. 
how come we never heard of this movie? We both love movies. Who like this? This didn't make up like this did. Like you could tell that it did well at Sundance, and it, people liked it at festivals. But like I never saw this movie on anyone's lists. Uh, everyone else I know had never heard of this movie because it is a true little indie movie that just didn't like you can't find this movie streaming anywhere which is stupid. So that's how the world is wrong. And you have to buy a Blu-ray from England. So like, to find this little movie is going to be a little bit of work, but it's worth it. It's so fucking worth it. Um, this is sort of the punk rock movie I've been waiting for for a really long time, <clears throat> where it gets the energy of punk, the idea of punk, the humor of punk, the anger of punk. And it's just like, it's just so, it's just so goddamn good. You got no argument for me. I actually saw it because <laughs> it just came across it, it because I try and see everything that I can get my grubby little hands on. And it, yeah, I, I, it, I'm surprised it didn't make my list. It's maybe by the end, it's so satisfying. And maybe this is a thing with some films is that they're so satisfying that it's not that you forget them but they don't leave you like with this sense of importance. And that's not at all to put this film down. I loved it. I'm just wondering why, like, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm wondering why when I was making my list, I didn't even think of it because, you know, again, going back and watching it, it's clearly a very uh, exciting film. And this director, do you know anything about this director? No, like I I saw the movie, I looked him up. He directed a bunch of other Indie movies I've never heard of. He works with Mel Brooks a lot. It looks oh, like... really? <laughs> yeah. How so? Uh, on his on crew, like he's worked oh. for Mel Brooks on from on multiple. This is an Adam Raymeyer, right? And uh, what does it say? I'm looking at his IMDb. Camera and electrical department. Mel Brooks live at the Geffen. Mel Brooks strikes back. Mel Brooks and Dick Cavett together again. So three. <laughs> it worked on Mel Blanc. The Man of a Thousand Voices, video documentary, video. So he just shoots. He's in this world. He's kind of on the maybe on the Bob Whitey track in that sense. You know, he's a, a documentary documentarian who is able to conduct really good conversations or just you know hold be and not get in the way of really good conversations with people who are who everyone wants to hear from. And, now, mm-hmm. and also is making his own interesting, has his own interesting filmography. I mean, I'm looking at some of this stuff. The Bunny Game is a film about a, uh, like a weird film about a prostitute, a prostitute looking for her next meal, hitches a ride with a trucker that leaves her praying for her next breath. That sounds rough. Uh, maybe that's not, maybe <laughs> that's not mine. His, his most recent is he's working on a documentary, Elegy for an American Dream. His one before dinner in America was called H.P. Lovecraft, Two Left Arms. Uh, yeah, so he's all over the place. Yeah, just so probably an interesting, I, I, I guess, a film like this, How the World Could Get Right is to learn more about the person who made it. Did he write it as well? Yeah, wrote and directed it. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a personal statement. <laughs> and it's just such a strong voice that I hope that he gets more money to make more things. I, I, I'm definitely like he's on my radar now to see what he's got. And then clearly he's on somebody's radar. Like this movie was produced by Ben Stiller. So like 
That doesn't just happen out of nowhere. <laughs> well, Ben Stiller, <laughs> Mel Brooks, you know, con- These are the, funny, the comedy funny world. People. Yeah. Yeah. Smart and, comedy, uh, Jewish, co- smart Jewish comedy. Yeah. Tell us more. <laughs> and so this movie, yeah, this movie is sort of like a magic trick. And I'll be honest, when I first watched it, the first 20 minutes, I wasn't so into it. Like it felt like. Like it starts off and it kind of feels like a Todd Salons movie. Yeah. It kind of feels like it kind of feels like a R-rated version of like Napoleon Dynamite where it's like really aggressively uh-huh. quirky. It's like quirky and it's and it's shot sort of in that Wes Anderson sort of like here's the white shot and everything's kind of meticulously framed and but it's really kind of mean and gross and crass and like harsh language and like and so the first 20 minutes when you have just simon kind of barreling through because the first scene is this long scene of him going to this girl's house that he meets at this play at this pill testing place they have this dinner the family is terrible (laughs) they're racist they're loud like they're just like drunk they're inappropriate um and he just fucked he just fucks it all up you know and but he also is just like really crass and crazy. And like just the, the language he's using is really aggressive. And it is kind of like listening to a punk song in a way where it's like it's in your face. It's it's like making you hear and see things you don't want to hear and see. And so for 20 minutes, I was like, is this a movie I want to watch? Like, what? Really? Is this a movie that I want to sit through? And it kind of and it, that kind of humor continues and those kind of characters continue. But then it does this magic trick with the relationship between Simon and Patty, where you you realize once you realize halfway through that they're actually in love with each other and this is actually a romantic movie, and the way it does that turn and the way it's a slow turn, and then by the end of the movie you're just smiling and feeling so happy, and it's just sort of like I don't even know I can't think of a movie that's done that trick before, you know. Or this this movie isn't a mean movie. Ultimately, it's a very hopeful movie and a very delightful movie. And like, I guess it's something that maybe the Fairly Brothers attempted to pull off, but in my mind, never really quite got. <laughs> Where it's like you get this, you can have this gross, sort of mean, crass, intense type of movie, but at the same time, have this really sweet, nice thing via the characters. And it totally won me over. By the end of the movie, I was like, this is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. This is so good. When I was watching it, it felt like kind of like a cross between Welcome to the Dollhouse and Hesher. Have (laughs) have you seen Hesher? I have not seen Hesher, no. Hesher, it feels like the most direct touchstone for this. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays more of a medley version of this guy who moves into a house but in this one he's helping a young kid find his voice as opposed to a girl so it's not a love story yeah and she really reads a lot like the girl from welcome the dollhouse and this is like Mm. if that story if that story had gone well you know like this bullied (laughs) glasses girl the thing about that movie is that it it doesn't let the world off the hook, which as someone who was bullied, I kind of loved about that movie. Like seeing like (laughs) a movie where there isn't some salvation for this kid because there, there really isn't in real life. But at the same time, it's not a very pleasant world to live in. You see that movie once and you've done it. Uh, Whereas this (laughs) 
takes that and makes it into a fairy tale, a punk rock fairy tale with this Hesher-esque punk rocker moving in and doing that. And then, you know, once we're in that territory, this thing about the, the weirdo stranger who moves in and solves everybody's problems by being an iconoclastic weirdo. I mean, that's the goodbye girl. That's, I mean, there's, we could think of a bunch of movies that, (laughs) that is that, but coming back to it, the thing about this movie is it really, it is so loud. And and I think the thing, and not loud in the way, like maybe Napoleon Dynamite would have been better if it was a, if it branded itself as a punk rock film, as opposed (laughs) to as whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> whatever it was <laughs> but you know and, and a strong what it was was a strong choice it's a, it, like the it's all these films that they're a victim of their own success like you make a cool you make a strong choice for a quirky little film and then all of a sudden everyone's throwing attention and money at you and of course you're going to run with it yeah uh unless you want a career like mine in which case you don't and so <laughs> You know, there's there's no winning, and and so yeah, not, I don't want to use Napoleon Dynamite to be, beat up on a film like this. I'd rather use a film like this to direct our attention to a, another really excellent film like Hesher. If you like this film, I bet you would dig Hesher. It's got some of the same, some of the same feeling, but not that sort of twee aspect, which actually works really well like this. And I think that's because the punk rock bashes against it. Like I'm thinking about, I think the most overdrawn characters are the bullies in the tracksuits and their girlfriends. Like the actors are giving such over the top, like Marilyn (laughs) Rashkub is doing, but there's, there's like an interesting grounded humanity to her and to the parents and even to the parents in the awful first family uh, but those, and of course, they're the villains, so they're drawn even more two-dimensional. <laughs> what I love about those guys is they really do feel like the evil version of a Wes Anderson characters. Those two guys, <laughs> right? Like if, like if Ben Stiller, yeah. is, if his kids grew up to be just the shittiest kids ever, and that's they still wore the outfits, and they were just like these homophobic, horny bullies, just like totally total creeps. That's what that and like there's little touchstones of the movie that remind me of like when Wes Anderson was really good, like with Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Oh, don't do that. You know, man, what? <laughs> His latest film's great. The French Dispatch I know, is I'm awesome. just saying. And uh, never saw it. Um, I'm sure it looks great. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure the Kinks music sounded really good in the theater or whatever. But like the uh, but yeah, I just like this movie. Like this movie is the kind of low budget movie that knows how to use it's low budgetness to like kind of heighten it where it's like, there isn't, this isn't a big world. This kind of takes place in some little town in Michigan. In the mid nineties, uh, because nobody has phones. They're ru- <laughs> it feels they're, it, they're, they're forming a they're riot girl band. Uh, and yeah, it's, this is 1996. I'm guessing. And that's my guess is that this film. Or takes that's place the, in the type of world that it wants to do. Um, maybe nine, no, maybe 97, 98 riot girl. I don't know how much it depends how hip these girls, I guess this band is super hip. I mean, his mask yeah. really stinks. Uh, <laughs> you want to tell the, like, tell us this, like, t- tell us the story of like, let's walk through some of the beats here. We don't have to do all of it, but I feel like this, 
uh, let's start at the beginning and like give it, give give us some of your some of the highlights of this of this tale of dinner in America. <laughs> I mean, you really are focused because this is you. You were focused on the dinners, but I. <laughs> but focus on America. Okay. Well, focus on so... like this character and and his and hers evolution and that slow turn. And we're going to spoil this because it's great. So Kyle Gellner is amazing in this movie. I think this is like, he is a person that's always been interesting. And like, I love him in Veronica Mars and we talked about him in Jennifer's body, but like here is like the, where he's really allowed to shine. And he just barrels through this movie instantly. As just like, he just wants to fuck everything up. He wants to mess everything up. He is like the ultimate punk. Uh, every situation, every interaction he's in, he wants to make a ruckus and cause a problem. <laughs> Just be chaos everywhere he goes. And he's clearly very, he is very angry. He's like, so many of the scenes, he's just scowling in, he's frowning. It's a lot of like, he can't believe what people are saying. <laughs> Does uh, He's got a band uh, called PsyOps. It's a little punk band that he wears a, a ski mask in. He sings and his band really wants to sell out and go big. And they've booked a show with an even bigger, what he calls like an eyeliner band. The Alliance. Um, the Alliance, which is hilarious that it's called The Alliance. And he finds out about this and is so mad. And he meets with his band in the diner, which I guess they always meet at. And he's just yelling at them and he's swearing at them till they get kicked out of the diner. And he goes, they all want to move to the next level and they want to be signed. And he's like, fuck you. That is not punk. This is bullshit. And then he just kind of has that idea everywhere he goes. So like he, when he meets Patty and finds out that his her boss took advantage of her, not paying her, fired her for dumb reasons. He's like, fuck you. We're going to get your goddamn check. And when the two and when the two uh, jocks, you know, make fun of her, he stands up for her, and then they beat the shit out of him out, while the bus waits. I love that the bus, they're all <laughs> on a city bus. The bus stops, they go out, they beat the shit out of him while the bus is just sitting and waiting. <laughs> then the bullies get on the bus and drive away. And then he's like, fuck that. I'm, we're going to get back at these guys. So he has a plan to get back to them. And that's sort of like everything he does is like he's not tolerant of anyone's shenanigans whatsoever <laughs> and he just expects the world to kind of match his punk ethos you know like he's just like in anything that's straight from that he is furious he's upset with but then that kind of he softens a bit when he meets patty so when he meets patty it starts off as sort of him thinking like well because her character is she is she is bullied she people make fun of her People call her horrible names. They, it begins with the two jock guys making fun of her in a very crass, gross, sexual way with the sandwich she's eating that they don't approve of. And she, and then she's taken advantage of everywhere she goes because she is a quiet person. She does not defend herself. She's like a 20-year-old living with her parents. She, like uh, in other movies that we've done on the show, likes to dance alone in a room to music. <laughs> I guess I like movies where people dance alone in their bedroom. And there's, there's kind of food comedy and dancing alone in your bedroom. This <laughs> like, is hitting your sweet spot. This is, a, this is hitting my sweet spot. Um, and But not only does she dance, she dances to PsyOps, who is her favorite band. And not only does she dance to it, she gets so excited. It's sort of like the highlight of her day. Like the rest, most of the day, she's quiet. She doesn't say much. But she listens to this music, gets so excited that then she runs to the bed, starts masturbating, takes a Polaroid of that moment, 
puts it in an envelope and sends it to the lead singer of PSYOPs, Simon, also known as John Q, which, and so what's great is when they meet each other, neither of them realize that they've already interacted many times with these Polaroids. And she writes, I guess, poems and sends the lead singer poems, sends Simon poems with these, these dirty Polaroids. So he moves in with her thinking, oh, this lady's like, I, this lady's easy to push around. I can just kind of take over the, take, I could take over the house and move in. And that's how I can hide out from the cops. And that's sort of how it begins. But then through the constant her, <laughs> like him trying to stand up for her and help her out and show her like the way to be punk in life, he ends up falling for her. And, and he real and he realizes right away that she is the person that uh, is sending the po pictures, but he doesn't tell her that. He just kind of is like... It freaks him out a little bit. That moment of realization when he's in that, that scene is so good. Yeah. Like all these scenes, there's all these great scenes of him not saying much and her revealing something to him and him kind of like, re and you're just watching him experience the, 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 the idea and the thought and the feelings. And it's so good. It's such good acting from Kyle Gellner. And so the part when he realizes that like, wait a minute, I recognize that underwear. Wait a minute. She's talking about me. And he runs to the bathroom and has this moment of like, oh, what the fuck? Like, is this, should I leave? And then he does leave. <laughs> But he comes back. And then the other moment, the, the highlight of the movie to me, is when he breaks into the... You find out he's a rich kid, which is hilarious and so true with a lot of these people. He breaks into the mansion that where he lives, has his kind of fancy punk rock basement in this mansion that is his bedroom. And he reveals to her who he is. She doesn't believe him, but he, he eventually convinces her. And then they record a song together... And he's watching her sing the song that he wrote the music to and his eyes well up with tears because you realize he realizes that he's in love with this woman. And that scene is so strong. Not only, but not just that he's in love with her, but that like she just keeps revealing made, her power like that. He yeah, he's not just in love with her. Now he is in awe of yeah, and off. Yeah, she's a great talent songwriter and he can't yeah. even believe it. Like that's the, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, this is the thing that you talk about the magic trick. I feel like the magic trick is it's the best thing that a, that a movie can do in a way is like you have the strong character and you have the weak character. And then as the movie progresses, the, the weak character without ever like acting, puffing themselves up, just keeps revealing their strengths to the strong character who is just sort of like, we see it on their face of like, Oh, you knew that. You know how to do that. Oh, and they just keep growing and growing. And that moment is that moment when he she is in his place of total power and confidence. And he is just humbled. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's it and, he, and, he, and it's like, he, and he realizes that he doesn't need to teach her to be punk. She already <laughs> is punk. Yeah. You know, like in that and like the duh, like we played earlier, it's like. No, like she is punk. She just needed to be told that maybe. And, but like he doesn't need to make her punk. She she wrote this amazing song and then she sings it. And that song is so good. Oh, it's so good. It, it and, really it'll, is. and that song will and that song is a definite earworm that'll just get in your head and you're going to be thinking about it for days and weeks and months. <laughs> and like that's that's world is wrong. That song should be up for an Oscar for best song. 
but it's not. Yeah. And whatever's going to win, not as good as that song. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're <laughs> or right. That's in, that's know, in like, some Frank territory. Like they. Yeah, no, yeah. And so then that moment, that moment is so emotional and so goddamn good that that's when I knew this was a five star. Like this is the best, one of the best movies of the year. And then, but then the movie keeps going from there. Like you have this great scene with him, with his family and learning kind of his family dynamic and how everyone kind of hates him. <laughs> his family assumes he's on drugs and just like... Oh, that sister is like horrible. This, this, great actor. Yeah. But oof, boy. And then you get to see him perform with his punk band and they're fucking great. And I don't know if Kyle Gellner's ever sung in a punk band or not, but he is so good. And he does the song of Dinner in America, uh, dedicates it to his girlfriend, which is really cute. And then he just sings this great song. And yeah, and and just this movie is just so full of surprises and great. Like what a great script for those two actors to like what great roles. Yeah. You know? and, I ho- and I've never seen Emily Skeggs in anything before. Um, at least nothing that's registered. I didn't even know that. I I did not put together until you mentioned it that Kyle Gellner was the goth boy in Jennifer's body. Yeah. (laughs) So, but that's how good the character is here. That's how good he is at really being this character. And what's also great about this, which I think separates it from other quirky type of indie movies, is that the characters are really grounded, other than the two (laughs) bullies. And like you really and their girlfriends, like they and their girlfriends, <laughs> but like Patty and Simon both feel like real people, and you just kind of forget that they're actors. And I oh, think yeah. it's a testament that you didn't recognize that Kyle Gallner is in Jennifer's body because the character in Jennifer's body is definitely a more exaggerated goth. And this is an extreme character in this movie, but it feels very real. It's like oh, I've worked with people like this. I knew punk kids like this. Oh yeah, like the way that anger just kind of bubbles out of everything you do, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's just like such a good role that comes once in a lifetime for an actor and an actress. And they both just, cause yeah, they, they both could have been jokes and they both could have been stereotypical. Like we've seen characters like Patty before. We've seen characters like Simon before, but the way they ground it and in their interaction with each other is blow you know, is so different. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about him. Let's talk about her a little bit because it, it really is. It is a two-hander in that sense. Like both, the, in order for this to work, they both have to be giving these pitch-perfect performances. Mm-hmm. And there's one point in it I wanted that I that I was thinking about. I wanted to to get your take on. So there's a scene where he has her take off her glasses and let down her hair. And it's this sort of classic and like eye roller kind of scene of like, okay, now like she's been playing, like we have a pretty actress playing a nerdy girl by having her hair up and her glasses on. And now he's going to take her glasses off and let down her hair and mm-hmm. she's going to be whatever revealed as the the princess. And something about that, scene and the way they both played it particularly her and i guess the way the film portrayed it it just it did that thing but instead of being revealed as the princess she just got revealed as i don't know 
like a different like it it did it did that reveal with that with well uh well undercutting that reveal do you know what i'm talking about do you know the, the moment i'm talking yeah, about yeah 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 like there's something about the way she played that and then the way and the way the movie played that that i that it it subverted the trope in a way but mm-hmm. not like by and but not in this heavy-handed way that was just sort of like I want to, my eyes couldn't roll while it was happening. I wanted them to, <laughs> and they couldn't because I was too caught up in the intimacy of the moment and her reaction to this whole thing going on in front of her, which is kind of the best thing about what she does. She's constantly sort of, another actress, I think, or actor would might play it more embarrassed than she does, but the mm-hmm. the level of kind of, amused like she almost gets offended and then she gets amused she almost gets embarrassed and then she gets amused (laughs) every weird inner like that victimy response to the moment is that's kind of her reveal for him is like instead of being intimidated like she her her body's intimidated by him and then her face and her mind are amused by him. And then that subverts the moment. And even that's happening in that. I don't know. I, I, I find her character so compelling and exactly like him (laughs) when she sings that song, I'm with him. I'm like, Oh, you've done it. This, that's the reveal. Forget the taking off the glasses and the hair thing. This is the reveal of her power and her beauty. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I love, I love the scene too. When, they first uh, when they kiss in the Ye- burger yeah. place. Yep, and like so and romantic. It, well, one, it's her. It's her as being like, I, I, I'll let you kiss me now. Yeah, and then he, then he just moves to the other side, and then they just both just like, and you can tell that they're both so happy, and then with them again saying like, you need to take it down a notch, and just saying all the things that they hear their parents and people say at the table to each other, is so funny, and. <laughs> That's such a good moment. Um, and it just, again, it just feels grounded in, in like just way their intimacy doesn't feel cartoony. It doesn't feel like it, like it doesn't match the quirk of the movie. Like those parts feel so real. Like it feels like mm-hmm. that awkward, great first time. And yeah, in other movies, she would have been more like, how do I do this? Or too weird, but she just knows what she's doing. They're fine. <laughs> yeah. And and I like that. Like I glad like they they her character is interesting because she is an innocent in one way where she doesn't know like certain words or so like what's the thing she doesn't know about at the dinner table with his family and they kind of laugh at her and he defends her. Um, a pyro. She doesn't know what a pyro is. Mm-hmm. But she is the type of person to masturbate and send Polaroids to people. So she's not like shy in that way. Like, but it's like, she's just a different, she's just kind of like maybe a little more sheltered than other people because she lives with these weird parents that interact with her in a weird way. And her brother also kind of feels the same way. Uh, another interesting character that we can talk about, but like, uh, I like, it's just a hard thing to pull off. Cause yeah, it could have been, she just plays it as stupid or like just so awkward pixie girl. I don't understand or whatever, but like, instead it's like more complicated and more real. It's uh, it's really good. Yeah, like you're shy, but you're sexually confident. You know, like I don't know. It just it felt like oh, I've known people like that. You know, it's um, yeah, 
very special. The, the, the writing is so good. <laughs> like, yeah, just to be able to pull this off. And like, and I think it's the lineup with the right actors because you can write something like this, but you need the actors to really sell it. And the, the director did a good job of hiring people that could really sell his story in words. Yeah. Yeah. No, th this is, uh, well, what are some of the other highlights for you from this film? <laughs> I really love the brother, her little brother, <laughs> who is sort of a jerk, just sort of like the normal jerky little brother making fun of his sister at the dinner table. Uh, it's revealed that he is adopted, but he doesn't know it. <laughs> and then there's that part where Simon is doing grace. He's like, yes, you grace. And he leads him in grace. And he's going through every person and saying these nice things about them. And then he gets to the brother and he's like, oh, please help this guy through his anger. And it, of course, it leads to him being like, because he just wants to find his birth parents. And of course, the kid had no idea. And then you cut to... Simon and Patty in the bedroom and you hear just the chaos of the family in the background <laughs> as that's going out. And then, of course, Simon introduces him to Weed and he becomes like the coolest, most relaxed guy. He gets a girlfriend instantly. <laughs> he tells him to smoke a gram a day. <laughs> that's about right. That's about right. <laughs> and so that was just a great uh, character moment. Um and I don't know, I just, this whole movie is just full of, it's just, it does everything right when other movies usually do it so wrong. And I, I wonder if the reason why a lot of people haven't heard of it is maybe they saw the plot or saw the poster and just assumed it was going to be like one of the ones that does it wrong, you know? And even like when I looked at the cover, I was just like, what is this movie that looks like it's trying too hard? Do I, do I want to watch this? Because the cover is like him flipping the bird and like there's all this stuff going on it looks really aggressive and and but it's not it's <laughs> like i said it's a magic trick this movie pulls off a, a magic trick that i've not seen a movie do well that was your same response to frank which is yeah. another film that does a similar thing it... and i think yeah and I thought about that movie a lot with this, maybe because of the punk rock thing or like the, the weird, simple mute songs that are great. But yeah, you're right. In another great movie, it does that sort of like on the surface, it looks like not a thing that I should like at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know what the touchstones are, like what other movies do the thing that make me sour on the idea of like a dinner in America or Frank. And then you just have to be forced to sit and watch it. At least for me. <laughs> like, I would have never watched this movie if my wife wasn't like, we're watching this now. And I'm like, okay. And you saying, we're going to watch Frank now. And I'm like, okay, you're going to watch Frank. I'd never wanted to watch it. I think I definitely ha I fight against Quirk a lot in, in indie movies. It's Are a you thing. a true stories guy? I do. See, I do love that. And that is real quirky and talking heads in general are. That's the, I but think it, that's sort of like uh, <laughs> the essence of all these things you're talking about. Wes Anderson and Napoleon Dynamite and yeah. Todd Solon's and it, I think, yeah, it all I comes back I, to true stories. I think what happened was that for me anyways, with like indie movie, it, it really was Napoleon Dynamite. It really was like, I was into Wes Anderson and all that stuff. And then there became that post Royal Tannenbaum's post Rushmore type of like 
just like the wave of like all the bullshit that came after Pulp Fiction of trying to make everyone was a cool philosophizing gangster. Uh, not counting Mad Dog Time, which is great. But like just when indie movies, certain indie movies click with people, then just like in Hollywood, everybody tries to make that kind of thing, <laughs> even in the indie world. And so like me kind of in film school, like in college at the time of everybody trying to ape Wes Anderson and then some of those movies succeeding like Napoleon Dynamite where it doesn't have the pain or emotion that's in a Wes Anderson movie, but it just has the funny clothes or the kind of stagey framing or the kind of music and like... None. I did not like any of those fake Wes Anderson movies. And then in, I feel some of the Wes Anderson movies for me became sort of like those movies where it just sort of got stuck in this. Wait a second. A wait story. a second. Come on back. So, back up here for a second. What about But I'm a Cheerleader? Is that post Wes Anderson or is that before? That's 99. That's, okay, so it's after Rushmore. But I think a lot I of that I feel like that's too, very in that zone and yeah, really good. It kind of. Yeah. But I mean, that's also like the 90s. It was different. There's like everybody, like I said, Todd Salons, like Vincent Gallo with Brown Bunny. Um, you know, like even I, I look even cowgirls get the move. That is like some forced quirky shit in the movie, you know? And like, there's something about the way '90s had quirk that was for me more accepted, because it still had, it still kind of felt like it meant something. Like the stylistic choice was to make it kind of aggressive, uh, because there were a bunch of kinds of, of you know, like how Hartley movies too were also very aggressive and very stylish, Love or them. Jim Jarmusch, or Jim Jarmusch movies, and like that's definitely a part of the indie scene and the indie world of the 90s is either you did your Casavetti's handheld raw motion thing or you did your aggressive framed, you know, kind of almost, you know, just like that kind of quirky thing. And I think what happened in the aughts is once, I think it's even Hollywood's fault, like once more money became behind these kind of movies, then everyone was doing the same quirky thing, but without the heart, without the feeling you know, like Rushmore is quirky looking and fun looking, but at the but at the core of that movie, there's a lot of sadness and a lot of raw emotion in there. And same with Royal Tannenbaums and all the Wes Anderson stuff. And I think that I got burnt out on the the Garden States and the Napoleon Dynamites and all the ones that kind of didn't try to make it a like a movie about people, and it was just about the style. And I think movies like Frank and Dinner America on the surface kind of looked like those kind of movies again. And so that I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to watch some movie guy with a mask on his head doing in a band, a quirky little band. And I don't want to watch a movie about some punk, you know, like doing this thing. I don't want to do that. And then Hollywood you watch punk. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then you watch the movie and you're like, Oh, this is like really good. Like the movies have now gone back to, you can have it be stylish, but actually have like emotion in there and actually have it mean something above the style. Okay, sorry for the long rant, but I think no. that's why I push. That's I think that's why I push against movies like this still, and I need to learn now that I'm wrong. And it's I think people aren't making, or maybe some people are are making the movies anymore that were the ones that did make my eyes roll. Yeah, at this point, can we say that Leah Thompson has surpassed Anne Bancroft as the I don't know most incestuous I don't <laughs> mother. <laughs> 
on screen because between ba- like now back like, to the future <laughs> back to the future is sort of sublimated and now in this film she goes full on into this sort of like i don't know uh hungry milf stereotype stereotype <laughs> like it's just ringing a bell like that the casting of her in that role in that first scene elevates that that riff like it's it's plucking that back to the future riff <laughs> is there another one is there any is there any other actress who has leaned so fully into that archetype <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying this because uh, out there, so, like, I'm hoping that Leah Thompson's agents and managers are like they're look like if this film had been a big hit, that's what she'd be playing for the next ten years. Is yeah that thing because because that's a particular uh, kind of role, and just like so many other things, once that role is actually claimed as opposed to sort of like like what is the experience of the mrs robinson character <laughs> leah thompson is primed to tell us this story <laughs> yeah why has anyone tried to do that you tell you graduate from the point of view of <laughs> mrs robinson oh i think there are plenty of movies i mean we don't call them it's not the graduate but there are plenty of yeah, movies yeah. where it's the Older woman, younger man relationship from the standpoint of the older of say, the older, yeah. an, uh, a mature woman with a a young man. <laughs> yeah, uh, but is it usually a comedy or is it usually well, like a thriller? Is it like Unfaithful with Diane Lane, the Adrian Lynn movie, or you know? Yeah, I guess yeah. has there been a really good? Not, it doesn't have to be comedy. Comedy like this is not a comedy, but it's a comedy, right? This is not. It's a. It's a romance, a comedy yeah. romance. I guess it's a. I guess that's a romance. Is this is a romantic comedy? We're talking about a punk rock yeah. romantic comedy. It's we're yeah. an hour into almost an hour into the episode, and we are now revealing what we have kept from <laughs> you all this time and, and from ourselves yeah. because we couldn't admit it that we are championing a romantic comedy. That's what you're. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which we don't normally. Have we done a romantic comedy on here? Uh, I mean, we did Punch Trunk Love is kind of... Uh, rules don't apply. Who's the romance in that? <laughs> oh, the two young people. The two okay. young people. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> you can't pass a romantic you comedy. Really, you really don't. Uh, all of, all uh... <laughs> of Warren Beatty's films are on some level <laughs> romantic comedies, even Red's. Uh, wow. Uh I mean, it's a ro- it's a full on romance, but the best aspects of that romance, yeah, come from a comedy between the characters in in the first third of the movie, and that's yeah. why we love them as love as these profound lovers later on. Uh, but it's still a romantic <laughs> comedy, Ishtar, romantic comedy between <laughs> Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty, very much so. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, okay, well, along, uh, wait, and we did, uh, and Bewitched, and we did the whole Nora Ephron. Oh, love, yeah, and she's Bewitched the, is a, ran- yeah, it's a romantic comedy. She's the yeah, empress yeah. of romantic comedy. That's true. And it'd be interesting to see if Adam Raymeyer, um, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right, uh, ever gets to get to make a bigger movie, and what will that movie be? Because looking at his filmography, it is kind of all over the place, but I can see him pulling off a bigger 
stranger version of uh, of like another like genre like this this movie does work like a romantic comedy and but but with a lot of twists and turns in it that make it not an obvious one and i just yeah i wonder what he's got up his sleeve because there's this is definitely a movie made by someone with a very strong voice can i i want to pose a theory here i am guessing i'm just just that this is a script that was submitted to ben stiller that maybe at some point he wanted to make like at some point he was simon and he had the <laughs> you either grew either grew out of the of thinking that he could be that or he had the good sense to be like no i can't i can i can't be that but i could produce this and yeah he's someone who who knows how bad a romantic comedy can be <laughs> Yeah, and and how and how good it could be. I think there's something like that being a like having someone like that who's a producer who is as smart as he is, who has worked on so many like really mid level money grab romantic comedies and tried to do them the best he can. You know, whatever I'm, I assume, but also knowing that what his job is is not to be the producer or the director on those, and there's a certain amount of quality control that comes from knowing where all the, I don't know, where all the quicksand is. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's how it played out, but as I'm looking at the, as we're talking about it, that's and I'm your, looking at the Wikipedia, my uh, Oliver Stone theory on the, the birth <laughs> of dinner in America is that it be someone at some point submitted it to Ben Stiller with the idea that he would be Simon. And thank you, Ben Stiller, for not doing that and giving us this great performance from Kyle Gallner. And meanwhile, <laughs> have you been watching Severance, his his no, new series? No, it looks it looks good. It look it's weird and good and strange. And <laughs> there's a, a, a ongoing collaboration now between him and Patricia Arquette that nice. I love. That you know takes us back to what's the what was the David O. Russell film they did together. Flirting uh, with Disaster. Flirting with Disaster. Great film that we yeah. should cover on the podcast sometime, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So um. Ben Stiller's up to... I, I, I actually <laughs> think we are in the, the phase of Ben Stiller's career that we wanted in 1996. For 25 years. <laughs> yeah. Where now he's just a filmmaker in control yeah. of his thing. And... Yeah. Escape at Danamora and Severance could not be more different, except that they're showcases for Patricia Arquette, <laughs> and yeah. they're really smart and uh, and unique and not trying too hard in any way. And yeah, I yeah. I'm I'm hoping that we'll also get the same thing as an actor as he moves into being an older guy and playing older guy roles. That we'll get some yeah. of those like he can actually do the do it guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah someone should make the whole movie for that yeah the whole movie you know what brian i have i have something to tell you you know who should make that movie you who? should you should go on just do it <laughs> no, 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 really, no no seriously really really no 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 you should make the movie you should make it uh do it and maybe ben stiller saw like a little bit of that young david o russell in this filmmaker with this movie you know? i think that's like this, yeah. this like because david o russell stuff his early stuff had the same kind of feel in a way of like it was aggressive 
it was stylish, but it was so well written and so well acted, you know, and like, yeah, like spanking the monkey, flirting with disaster, three Kings, like those, and, and I heart Huckabees, like those first few movies just had yeah. the quirk and the style, but it was grounded with just great, just great dialogue and great people. And so maybe he sees a little like, oh, maybe this guy could, uh, and I could totally see that happen with this person and hopefully make movies better than David O. Russell's been up to. Hey, you know, but <laughs> uh, hey, if, if you have a run, it, it, we've, as we've said many times on this, if you have yeah. a run that good, and I would... It's a good run. And I would say that even if we didn't know where the next three films were heading... I think the other three, like as far as your run of like, hey, I'm a big successful Hollywood filmmaker. I'm going to make films like whatever, The Boxer One, yeah. uh, The American Hustle, and... Silver is, Linings Playbook. Okay, yeah, those three are, if you're going to make, have a, ho- a run of Hollywood type movies, that's a really good, if we didn't know where yeah. that was headed... Yeah. Or if that was headed, to, and who knows, maybe he's going to, you know, maybe he has a third chapter where... He's got his comeuppance, and <laughs> he's had to, to to learn some life lessons, and he comes back with all of that skill, but the wisdom that comes from yeah. not being a Hollywood success forever, and you know, and maybe we get even greater films from him. I I, I hold out <laughs> hope because those fir- as you said, that first run as you just named him, I was like, oh, oh I love so that good. One. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, and so they're just good. getting better. And the world is wrong about about I Heart Huckabees. That's the film. Yeah, that's, that's a great movie. That's one. Of, honestly, that might be quirky, one of my top you know? ten films of all time in terms of just favorite. I know we didn't talk about. I don't. I don't know why I didn't talk about it because that it does. It's a film about synchronicity. It has my favorite musician. I mean the the John Bryan score is it's the perfect John Bryan film. Uh, yeah. It, Jason Schwartzman is one of my favorite. Like there aren't a lot of great sort of leading man roles from him. He's fantastic in it. Uh, it's best best Mark Wahlberg performance, I think. Yeah, I love that yeah. character. Uh, anyway, sorry to take it away, but I guess this is the you know, digressions <laughs> are us here. We're getting back. We'll get back to dinner in America because that film also has some really. Uh, aggressive dinner scenes the, the yeah the, oh yeah uh the introduction introduction of jonah hill jonah hill yes so that's the introduction of jonah hill at that dinner scene with ben stiller and mark Wahlberg in i heart huckabees that is very much like uh this one you know the scene where they where they he's finding the african guy with who the synchronicity is connected to and he goes to they go to dinner at his house he's like staying with this christian family and jonah hill is the kid in the family and mark Wahlberg is trying to tell them how they're all complicit in the oil you know in the oil industry and because that's his whole bit are you remembering any of this Wait, but Ben Stiller's in it? I don't remember Ben Stiller being in it. No, 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 no. I didn't say it. Did I say Ben Stiller is you in it? You did. You're confusing me. Ben, I I meant Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman and yeah. Mark Wahlberg are have a, have a terrible dinner scene with this family yes. where they destroy a dinner. And Mark Wahlberg kind <laughs> of does what the Simon character is doing in Dinner in America at this uh, dinner. I think all good indie movies have ruined dinner scenes because i love the scene in Bre- in buffalo 66 too where they're all having dinner together <laughs> it's like 
It's so good. Like ruined dinners or awkward family dinners. It's just a great way to have all the characters around a table in a scene and just have these, you know, and especially if you have one person at the table who's like trying to like fuck with everybody or who's going to inevitably fuck with everybody at the dinner. So good. <laughs> Jack and Jill. Yeah. <laughs> Jack and Jill or like literally every other episode of the Gilmore Girls, like just good Good, good writing is you get people around a table. I think there's not a lot of the accidental tourist as well, which I feel is also kind of a precursor to all these quirky movies. A lot of good dinner scene meals. Ups, you know. Yeah. We got to do accidental <laughs> tourist because you, you've talked about it several times and I remember liking it when oh, it came out and I haven't thought about it any time other than when you bring it up. It's so much a Wes Anderson movie before it was like it has that. There's a quirk there. It's aggressive, the characters, but it's not as stylish as those other movies. It's definitely more of a comfortable style, you know, because that's Kasdan, I think, right? Yeah. Lawrence Kasdan. So it is like how he directs all his movies. It's not, it's just kind of more laid back style. It just feels like a movie. The directing is kind of hidden in a way. <clears throat> but no, that's, yeah, I feel that there's a lot of that movie that inspired, I think, a lot of the, like, I think maybe that and True Stories inspired a lot of these kind of quirky indie you know like awkward family things um i think another interesting person who worked behind the scenes on this is hannah marks who's an executive producer and she plays the lady at the beginning who goes you know takes her to her family's house <laughs> and she's also a filmmaker she's great and she, she knew what a good she, role was that's this was <laughs> So they'll produce this movie and then be like, I'm going to be that person at the beginning and just watch this guy ruin my family and burn my house down. Uh, and, and she's also a writer. She wrote a movie recently called Banana Split that's really good. Did you ever see that? No. That's another kind of good, quirky, fun indie movie, but it's not. But again, it's like better than that. Like it's just it's just a good movie because the writing's good and the characters are good. That's uh, directed by Ben Kozilke. Highly recommend it. It's on Netflix, people. Watch Banana Split. But she wrote it. She's in it. Uh, and that also kind of has, in a way, a little bit of a, you know, not a punk rock thing necessarily, but it has like kind of the youth, the way the youth can be. And it's fun uh, and very funny. And it looks um, like another film called After Everything <laughs> with Gina yeah. Gershon and Marisa, Marisa Tomei. So. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Um, but she's directed in, in a few things. And so, like, I think... She also saw something interesting in this movie to be able to, you know, be a producer and an actor. And yeah, I think there's a lot of talent behind this movie. Like, I think that they know that this guy could be something. And who knows if the pandemic hadn't happened, maybe this movie would have built through, like kind of busted through all these festivals and kind of built something up. But like with a lot of movies that came out in 2020 at festivals, it kind of it got a little bit delayed or it's hard to kind of build a huge thing when no when you're just kind of showing it streaming to people like you know online festivals which th which had to happen but like if it was a thing where it could be more word of mouth then it's showing in theaters and people are getting excited like who knows if this movie could have been a little more in people's minds you know by now <clears throat> could have been hard to tell yeah but you know like like the uh the patty character you know, it's an it's an unassuming powerhouse, and uh, we are stepping in as the Simon character 
and going to stand up for this Patty character. And you know what? That might mean that we get the, get beaten up outside of a bus while the bus waits. <laughs> but the story doesn't stop there, my friends. We're going to take this industry to task. We're going to we're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to we're going to take this movie to our parents' basement. <laughs> that sounds bad. No, uh, and and make a demo. We're gonna, well. This is it. We're recording. We're recording the single. We're we're allowing it to to display display its brilliance. In fact, you know what? Uh, before we before we go into the announcements and such, why don't we just play the song that uh, that won our hearts? Great. Tits. Is tits good? Yeah. Yeah. Tits is good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Have you ever thought about being a sex worker? Or robbing a bank? Or maybe you're bored and thinking of climbing Mount Everest on a whim. If you've got a bad idea, we've got good advice from the people who've been there. Hi, I'm Marty Caproni. And I'm Joe Garrix. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Good Advice for Bad Ideas, right here on the Paperhouse Podcast Network. It will be interesting. We promise. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. 
You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. So tell tell us about next week. This is because we each picked a movie from our Oscars list. Oh, yeah. From 2021. So what do you have for us next week? Old Henry. And, you know, <laughs> uh, if you uh, if you heard, well, if you listen to the Oscars podcast, you know how much I love this film and uh, how hard it is to talk about it. I think this might be, it's, just, it's hard to talk about it without giving away what is so great about it, uh, which is a testament to how good the film is and maybe to how honorable in some weird way people who love this film feel to the experience of it. Uh, but I will just say that like dinner in America, it is about, uh, a protagonist of hidden strengths that are revealed throughout the film as portrayed by Tim Blake Nelson in a I'm rare so leading role for this yeah. great, great actor. And who boy. Yes, I am. Uh, I'll, I'm very excited to, I've been waiting to talk with you about this, Brian. And I think, I think they can, like I said, I think I'm, I would say, please go out and watch the film or find a way to watch the film before that episode, because we are going to spoil it, which is, uh, Something you just don't want to have happen to you with this film, because its magic trick is similar to this one, so delicately delivered that you just want to go for the ride and have that experience. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there is a comeback. Uh, well, I don't know. I always talk about this as if it's linear because we are living in linear time. Brian, I don't know if you're aware of this. We're living in linear time, day to day to day. But people who experience this, they're just getting it in a wash of things. So, uh, if you're if you are inclined to to follow us to the next episode, the next episode will be about Old Henry. And if in the interim you have heard all of our episodes and you're dying to hear one of our voices in another format, you can find. Brian's other podcast, The Director's Wall, where that he hosts with AJ Gonzalez, where he explores the where they explore a filmmaker's filmography, like the video, like on a video shelf, The Director's Wall. Exactly that we we've never really talked about the origin of the name of Director's Wall. I think it's pretty obvious, but maybe kids <laughs> who have never been in a video store don't know what a Director's <laughs> Wall is. Can you explain what a director's wall is? Uh, yeah. So at Vulcan Video, in every video store that I went to that was not a chain, uh, they would have a director's wall where it would be alphabetical by last name. All the directors that the employees of that video store felt worthy enough to kind of put it all together for your viewing pleasure. Um, I believe, let's see, the Vulcan director's wall was large. It started with, I believe, Woody Allen. And ended with uh, Fred Zinnemann. <laughs> so from Alan to Zinnemann. And uh, yeah, it just, in every year we would vote, uh, every New Year's, we would kind of all throw in the directors we thought were worthy enough to get there. And we all made up these arbitrary rules of like, they had to have been making movies for 20 years. They have to have at least five movies. And I'm sure every video store has their own way of determining it. And we would fight over it. We had some removed 
where some angry employee removed a director from the wall, being like, they are no longer worthy of being on the wall. <laughs> so John Woo was removed from the director's no. wall. No! Yeah, after he made that uh, Ben Affleck movie, Paycheck, this employee, Neil, was like, fuck this. No, he's off the wall. <laughs> he took it off. That's and there was someone else. I'm trying to remember who. There was another one that was removed. Early, and then there was an some, early uh, <laughs> example of cancel culture. Run John Wu canceled. Um, That's so unfair. But... <laughs> That's so unfair. That's so unfair. Like, I, I just, now I want, that's all I want to do is fight with that, with that guy or gal. And do an episode on Paycheck and bring well, him in as a guest, just, right? Just, well, uh, no, really just like, wait a second. Are you going to take Billy Wilder off the wall? Because he had a couple For stinkers. Buddy Buddy wasn't great. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that was, you know, but you know, video store employees, they're passionate, they're passionate. Like there were people that would plead cases every year for the same people. And every year those people would get wait, shot down. Wait, was what was that? Was, were any of these employees you're talking about, were they featured in the documentary I shot at Vulcan video? That's it's on our first episode. That they you... might've been, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, there's a couple like of them eight... who really sound like they, uh, they like... would not be above <laughs> getting that angry like, at a director. Uh, like there was always a half and half of people really wanting Michael Bay on the wall and the other half being like over my dead body. Are you excited <laughs> about his new one, Ambulance? Oh, it looks great. Jake Gyllenhaal, no, it, it does look really good. good. It does, I'm excited. It looks for good. It. Uh, and then uh, every year AJ wanted to get Ron Howard and Zemeckis on the director's wall and every year that got shot down and he was always very sad about that. So <laughs> just, But he I'll, wanted it. Well, and we're all like, no. No Zemeckis? <laughs> Wait, Zemeckis, Zemeckis. he's such a voice. Didn't get on. But he, but we all looked at him and we're like, but his last X amount of movies were terrible. So we don't want like, after a certain point, it's not good. They're not terrible. So it never, it never reached. That Denzel Washington one was not terrible. It never got the votes. We would vote, and that would always be low voted. And Ron Howard, you would, I would have got fired from this place. There was people being like, no. Or maybe no, I would have Ron become Howard. king. I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. Do, do these people listen really, to our podcast? It, do they know? Who knows? And it would always be really exciting when someone made the director's wall. It would always be like this big event of like, finally, they're on the direct. This is so great. It was like a validation for whoever liked the director. Um, yeah, it was always really fun. <laughs> and that's why the podcast is called The Director's Wall, named after Vulcan Video's director's wall because a lot of people like myself would go to a director's section and just go through the whole section and watch it all like i'm just gonna watch every movie by these people and it was an easy way to do that um well because it was all there together by the woo standard both of your seasons <laughs> of of the director's wall should be taken off the wall <laughs> because... Shyamalan was never on the wall but coppola was <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I, lo I love Coppola more than the next guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, your episode about the travesty of Hammett. <laughs> I mean, there should be demerits for destroying somebody else's film. If yeah, yeah but... <laughs> I, take him off the wall. <laughs> You know, it just, we never, we never I, got into no, no. it. We never got into the personal lives. No, we never got no. into that. I'm We're just that. like, you're fine. You're just on the wall because we like your movies. I'm so. with you. I, I don't think anyone should. Yeah. I, you, <laughs> taking Wu off the wall is wrong. 
Yeah, uh, I agree. Especially since he made good movies after that. So you make one bad movie, just wait a sec. And also, you yeah. try to make every movie for 50 years great. With all these other people cannibalizing your work before you can, you know, basically taking your yeah. cinematic language exactly. before you have an ex- a chance. Yeah. And then you have to create a whole new one and navigate in a whole different cinematic society that is informed by yours, but with other people profit. I don't know. It's, yeah. Do you think it was his choice to make a movie? Ben Affleck? No, that was someone else's choice to do that movie. So yeah, you, you just, he rolled with the punches. What are you going to do? No, no. I, I'm uh, so, I got so much Ben Stiller on the mind. I've been the whole time. I thought you were saying Ben, he made a movie with Ben Stiller and, and I was like, <laughs> Oh, an action movie with John Woo and Ben Stiller. That sounds awesome. No. Nope. Zoolander 3 could happen. Let's do it. Tropic Thunder 2. Tropic Thunder 2. two <laughs> yeah. Of John yeah. Woo. Yeah, let's let's go. All oh, right. you can't. Oh, I'd lo- oh, yeah. Wow. Boy. How do you All right. Yeah. Anyway, uh and if you want to find my stuff, Radio 8 Balls out there. Mo- if you're listening to it, you probably live in India. If you're listening to this, you probably live in Australia. Uh, <laughs> our friends. <laughs> our friends across the globe. Please Please uh, offer us uh, offer us a refuge when we become exiled in America, like these two young lovers in the film Dinner in America. <laughs> and uh, okay, uh, well, uh, yeah, if you want to send us your thoughts or your responses, your suggestions, your insights, you can send us an old school email at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at world is wrong at the world is wrong podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at world is wrong pod. And every episode of the podcast has a page devoted to it on our website, which is www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. And we talked about the Vulcan video documentary in this. I really recommend you check it out. It's very, uh, I'm very proud of of it. And uh, everyone who participated in it should be because they're awesome. And you know some of those people like Brian and Jasmine Moreno and A.J. Gonzalez. And uh, and of course, the, the historical and now defunct setting of Vulcan video Highly recommend you check it out. It's a very punk rock place. Don't burn it down. And, uh, well, I guess you can't. It's too late. If you wanted to burn it down, you'd yeah. have to get a time machine, go back in time, burn it down. And, in fact, who's to say that wouldn't have made things all better in the long run? Uh, I'm trying to go out, and, and I just, I, I, I'm now uh, stuck in, I don't know, I'm, I'm stuck in a riff on thinking about time machines and Vulcan video and pyromania. <laughs> Uh, how do we get out of here, Brian? <laughs> well, remember out there, <laughs> the world is wrong, and it's probably wrong about you. Thank you. <laughs> are you both on dope? He's definitely on dope. Back off, Renee. I'm not on dope. He totally is, Mom. I can tell. He won't look at me. He looks past me, but not into my eyes because he doesn't want me to see his eyes. Jesus fucking Christ. Can we just eat the fucking meal? Don't talk like that in front of my kids. We learned about dope and dare. Dope for sure, and he doesn't get AIDS. Why are you here? Oh, it's nice to see you too, Ned. Answer your father. If it's about money, 
No way. Well, don't worry about it. I'm not after your goddamn money. There's an agenda, Mom. There's always an agenda. If I were you, I'd check my jewelry box before he bang. Shut the fuck up, Renee! Strike two. What is this? What are you doing? What is this? He's high, Mom. Don't pay attention to him. It's what he wants. He feeds off it. Uncle Simon has dirty fingernails like the dopers in my dare book. Oh, hey, sorry I'm late. Why is the front door locked? Whoa. What are you doing here? Hi, I'm Danny. Hi. Did you give him your key? Yeah, so? Why'd you do that? You know he's not supposed to be in here, right? Relax, Renee. I need to relax, Danny? Poor mom had to come home and find these two in the basement shooting up. God. What's going on here? Nothing. Nobody's shooting dope, all right? We were writing a song in the basement. I can't do this anymore. Right. Now dad's upset. Stop picking on Simon. Excuse me? You heard me. You're all being mean. He doesn't do dope. He just ate Sunday and Monday for my easy dose because he got beat up. Mommy, what is she talking about? I have no idea. I think she's just as strung out as he okay, is. Okay, you know what? Leave her out of this. Look, you seem like a nice enough girl, but I'm sure he's got you brainwashed or is manipulating you with drugs somehow. Simon is a pathological liar. He's a thief and a total pyro. Hey, you know the cops have been sniffing around for you? Yeah. They came by the office and grilled me for a half hour. Oh, God. Hey, Mom, I'll be gone soon. What's a pyro again? Pyros. Oh, are you serious? Okay, you know what? Knock it off. <laughs> Knock it off! Not the sharpest stick is Don't talk about her like that! Like what? Like she's subhuman. And with that condescending fucking tone. All right, that's three. Yeah? What the fuck are you gonna do about it, Alan? No! Hey, 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 stop. hey, 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 Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8 Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show. Thank you.